please turn now once again in that portion of the Word of God that we read this morning in the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel of Luke and the seventh chapter. And our text this morning comes from the 47th verse. Luke chapter 7, verse 47, where we read these words, Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. This morning I want to borrow from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in our passage as we read here in verse 44. And he turns to the Pharisee called Simon and he says, Seest thou this woman? Seest thou this woman? I want us to look together at the woman in our text this morning. Look at this woman and tell me, what do you see? I see a woman who is weeping at the Lord's feet. And then I see that she takes the very hairs of her head and uses them to wipe those tears from our Savior's feet. And not only this, but I see that she is kissing our Lord's feet. As the Lord says in our passage, she will not stop from kissing his feet. I also see this woman anointing the Lord's feet with ointment that she brought with her in an alabaster box. Do you see this woman in our text this morning? We see that she is guilty of her many sins. The Lord himself says that her sins are many. But we also see that she is forgiven of her sins. Do you see this woman in our text She is broken and contrite of heart. But we also see that she is healed and that she is loved by the Lord. What do we see about this woman this morning in our text? We see that she is serving the Lord. How is it that she is serving the Lord? She is serving the Lord in that she is worshiping him. All these things that she does are acts of worship unto him. But who is this woman? Well, just to clarify, this is not Mary, Lazarus' sister. For we read of another anointing of the Lord, but that's a different occasion, a different event than this one. And so we should not confuse the two. That one is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and in John chapters 11 and 12. There, Mary spent a whole pound of precious ointment upon the Lord's head and feet, such that there was this sweet aroma that filled the whole house. That anointing done by Mary was done in the house, not of Simon the Pharisee, as we have in the passage before us this morning, but in the house of Simon the leper. And that anointing done by Mary was done just days, mere days, before the Lord's crucifixion. Indeed, the Lord says in that place that this anointing was, as it were, preparation for his burial. 
And then on that occasion of anointing, we see that Judas Iscariot is there, the one who would betray the Lord Jesus. And he complains about what he sees as a waste, for he says, oh, this precious ointment, it's worth so much money. It could have been sold, and the proceeds could have been given to the poor. But what does the Lord Jesus say to him? He says, leave her alone. I tell you, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me with you. But we don't have anything of this dialogue here in in our passage before us this morning. So I say again, this is a different occasion. And this is a different woman. And we don't have really much more that identifies this woman. But these deeds of devotion and love that she has for the Lord in our passage. And so this morning, I want to focus upon this woman. And I say that because... The context of our passage, arguably, really has more to do with another individual that is present here in our passage. Another person. Who is that? That is the man who invited the Lord Jesus to come for this meal, to eat together. That is this Pharisee, Simon. And we see then that this whole passage, the context of it, really is about the Lord Jesus' response to this Pharisee. Look with me at this verse in verse 39. Starting there, we read that the Pharisee, which had bidden him, that is, invited Jesus to this meal, when he sees what this woman is doing at the feet of Jesus, he speaks within himself. That's how the scripture puts it. He, He spake within himself. That is to say, he had this thought. You know, our thoughts are private. No one else can hear or know our thoughts. Well, he's not sure yet, you see, what he makes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't know what to think of him. And he has this thought in his head as he sees this woman at the Lord's feet doing these things. And he says, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what man or woman this is. For she is a sinner. She is a sinner. We see that expression two times in our passage. When you look at the commentaries, often they say that this may be a euphemism. She is a sinner. To say that she is a prostitute or a harlot. And so the Pharisee says, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that is touching his feet. And then we read in verse 40, and Jesus answers him. Jesus answers him, but wait a minute. Simon didn't speak a word. But we read, the word of God tells us, Jesus answers him. Jesus knows what his thought was. And though this is but in passing, we must recognize that this is another indication from the word of God of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. For only the spirit of a man knows his own thoughts in himself, except the Lord God. He also knows our thoughts. And so Jesus answers his thought, not his words. And he says, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And Simon, of course, having not the least suspicion that he understood his thoughts, says, Master, say on. And Jesus begins with this parable. As we read in verse 41, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. 
And then Jesus directs this question at Simon. And he asks him, Tell me, therefore, which of these two debtors will love the creditor the most? And Simon answers and says, Well, I suppose that it was he to whom was forgiven the most. And Jesus says, Thou, Simon, has rightly judged. Rightly judged, that is correct. But you see, the Lord doesn't leave it there. That's not the end of his lesson for Simon at this meal. That's really just the beginning. Because what does he do then? The Lord Jesus at this point, as we continue to read, turns around to this woman that has been at his feet all this time, that Simon took note of in his thoughts. Now, just to clarify, you may be asking yourself, well, if this woman was at the Lord's feet, why is it that she was behind him, as the text says? Well, in that day, when people sat down for a meal, they did not sit in chairs at tables like we do, where your feet are out in front of you as you sit down on a chair, but rather they kneeled down on the floor, perhaps on a pad, and their legs were behind them as they were sitting on their legs. Uh, And your feet then would be behind you. Now, you may have one arm stretched out on the table for support, but you're basically more or less in a kneeling position. One commentator said, therefore, the soles of the Lord's feet would be facing upward behind him. And so you can see then how this woman could come up from behind the Lord and be doing these things at his feet. But this is what the Lord Jesus does when he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? The Lord knows that he saw the woman because he knew his thought. But he says, do you see this woman? He draws attention to her. He singles her out, not only to Simon, but to the many dinner guests that were present. And then what does the Lord do? The Lord begins to make a comparison between this woman, this woman and the Pharisee, the host, Simon. And so we read the Lord speaking to Simon. He says, I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears, with her tears. And then she has wiped them with the hairs of her head. And so, if this woman had been a harlot, perhaps there was a time when she was accustomed to beautify her face and to paint it with the paints of harlotry. But look at her face now, and what do you see? Her face is smeared with her tears. Her eyes are all puffed up from her weeping, her pouring out in love and affection for the Lord Jesus. And then... What about her hair, the hair that she uses to wipe the tears from the Lord's feet? What do you see? Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? What do you see this morning in this woman? Do you see how her hair is disheveled? And again, if she was a harlot, perhaps there was a time when she would have beautified her hair. She would probably have gone to great lengths to make herself look lovely. Maybe she would have plated her hair with gold and silver. But now look at her hair. What do you see? It is like a dish rag. That is the woman that we see before us in our text. But Jesus goes on in his comparison, and he says to Simon, verse 45, Thou gavest me no kiss. See, it was a custom 
to greet guests with a kiss. We even see that in the New Testament epistles when the apostle says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But the Lord Jesus says to Simon, you gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now we all understand that kiss is a symbol of love. That's a universal understanding. But also, the kiss can also be a token of subjection and an indication of worship. Indeed, the pagans in their acts of worship will often kiss their idols. And so I tell you that her kissing the Lord's feet showed her utmost subjection, her utmost humility before the Lord Jesus Christ. She humbled herself before the Lord. And remember that we are taught in the scripture that God gives grace to the humble. Jesus goes on in this comparison. And he says in verse 46, My head with oil thou dost not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And so again, it was a custom in that day for guests to have their heads anointed with oil, especially at solemn feasts. But this woman shows her worship of the Lord in that she anointed his feet. Is the Lord finished in his lesson with Simon? No. In fact, all this, as it were, was the setup for the punchline. Because here it comes in our text, in verse 47. Jesus says, Wherefore, you see, he's making a tie and a connection to what he's already said. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, the sins of this woman, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you see what the Lord is doing? The Lord with this language and saying that this woman loved much is making a tie and a connection back to his teaching from the parable. The parable, when it says that there are two debtors, one with a little debt, one with a greater debt, indeed a greater debt is a debt ten times as much as the other debt, and they are forgiven. And as the Lord craftily makes Simon himself admit it, that the one with the greatest debt is the one that would love the most. And you see, he's, he's taking that language from the parable and talking about this woman at his feet, and he says, you see, Simon, her sins are many, and she was forgiven those many sins, and that's why she loves much. That's why all these things that she is doing unto me, that you, Simon, in your heart, judge harshly, and you condemn this woman by those things, I tell you, these are all but demonstrations of her great love, because she knows that she's been forgiven much. And that is the lesson that the Lord is bringing forth to Simon. And then he goes on to say, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. It's as if the Lord leaves this open and hanging for Simon to consider, oh, well, could the implication be that the other debtor in the Lord's parable that only had 
50 pence of debt, could that be perhaps a reference to Simon? Because Simon, you see, he loved little, as the Lord brought out in his comparison between Simon and this woman. He was contrasting a little love and a great love. And that is the lesson that the Lord was bringing to to Simon. Now I say, though this is the context, and I wanted to walk through the passage so you can see this, I want to focus nonetheless on this woman. And there will be three heads I'd like to consider in the sermon this morning. First, as we read in our text, that her sins are many. Her sins are many. Secondly, we read that she is forgiven. Or as the Geneva Bible puts it, many sins are forgiven her. And thirdly, I want us to look at this, uh, this portion from our text where it says that she loved much, for she loved much. And so first, let us consider this head, that her sins are many. Her sins are many. And there's really no doubt or question about that. The passage doesn't hide the fact that this woman's sins are many. For we read that she is a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Again, the Pharisee in his mind refers to this woman as a sinner and says that the Lord should know who and what manner of woman this is. And clearly, the Lord himself is making a tie of this woman back to the the debtor with the greatest debt in his parable who owed ten times as much as the other debtor. And Jesus himself says that her sins are many. And so we see then by her weeping that this woman grieved over her sins. She had great sorrow for all of her offenses against the Lord. Her sorrow ran deep, deep. And we see that and how there's this emotion outpouring from this woman. And though she had been a great sinner, she now shows a great hearty sorrow and a profound humility. Do you see this woman of our text this morning? Do you see how broken and how contrite of heart she is? Do you know what it's like to be broken down like this woman was? Do you know what it's like to be utterly broken down emotionally and spiritually? Well, you will never be contrite like this woman was as long as you trust in yourself as long as you trust in your own strength to make it through life. In the scripture we read of the adulterous woman as being defiant and proud and independent and depending upon the strength in herself. As we read in Proverbs chapter 30, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. But the emotional and spiritual breakdown of pride is when that stronghold in your soul falls apart. It is as if there is a dam in your soul which you have held strong for countless years and the purpose of that dam is to hold back and to resist the love of God from penetrating and sinking down into your life. But suddenly, when the Holy Spirit comes, that dam of your soul begins to crack and starts to crumble. And for the very first time in your life, 
you begin to understand who you truly are. And finally, one slender stone, as it were, from the stamp slips. And then the whole thing just gives way. And the waters come crashing through. And you realize there's nothing you can do to stop them. And what follows then is a complete surrender, a complete abandonment of your former way of life. This is what it was like for this woman of our text at the Lord's feet. Do you see that her helplessness, her sense of hopelessness, actually provided the rich soil for the sapling of her new faith in the Lord? And so... It is the same for us when we are in that same state. You may say to the Lord, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. I can't go another day in my own strength. I am so weary of the burden of sadness that I carry around with me wherever I go. I can no longer pretend that I am that great rock that no one else can move, that cannot be budged. I'm tired of playing these games, trying to trick everyone. I'm just tricking myself. I am a sinner, and I feel this weight of sin pressing me down. I am like this woman of our text. Friend, if this is your case this morning, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let us turn now to our second head. Our second head where we pick up these words of our text. That our sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her sins are forgiven. I want you to understand that the tears that this woman sheds at the Lord's feet is not only sorrow for her sin, but it's also, it's also, these tears are also tokens of her repentance and of her love for the Lord Jesus. For these tears not only spring out from a sense of her sin and her guiltiness, but they also spring out from a sense of her forgiveness that she has in the Lord for the remission of her sins. And so all these things that she does unto the Lord in crying at his feet and wiping the tears with the hairs of her head and kissing his feet and anointing his feet with ointment, all these things are various testimonies that she has, that she has been forgiven of Christ. And so I say that she has a full sense of the remission of her sins. The remission. To remit means to refrain from exacting as a payment or service. And so like the debtor in the parable, she had nothing to pay for her debt, but nonetheless, she was frankly forgiven of all of her many sins. As the Puritan John Trapp puts it, he says, They that make their eyes a fountain to wash Christ's feet in shall have his side for a fountain to wash their souls in. 
Let me read that again. They that make their eyes a fountain to wash Christ's feet in will have his side for a fountain to wash their souls in. My friends, this morning, is there something that holds you back from running to Christ? Is it a sense of guilt? Is it because of the burn and of guilt that you feel for all the things that you've done? Are you saying within yourself, well, I believe that Christ is the Savior. Christ may save others, but he cannot save me because I am unclean. I am filthy. I have sinned so much. Jesus may save others, but he cannot save me. No one can save me. Not so. It's not so, my friend. Look at the woman of our text. Do you see? She sinned much. She sinned much. But she loved and she showed her love to the Lord Jesus Christ because she knew that her sins were forgiven. So even if you are a notorious sinner, like the woman of this text, seize upon the hope that is in Christ, that living hope which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the word of God and see here how this woman has changed, how she has changed from her former way of life. See how much this woman loves our Savior. Listen to the words of the Lord that we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, the Lord says, come now. Let us reason together. Isn't that an interesting metaphor? It's as if the Lord's inviting us to sit down with him and to have a talk. Come now, he says, let us reason together. And what does the Lord have to say to us? He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This woman knew that she was forgiven, just as she knew of her guilt, of her sin. Otherwise, the parable of the Lord would make no sense, would it? If this woman didn't understand that she was forgiven, the Lord would have no parable to tell Simon. Do you see? Indeed, it was her knowledge, not only of her guilt, but also of her forgiveness, that drove her to Christ. When we read in verse 37 that this woman learned that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house and then she went to see him, what would drive her to go to see Christ except that she knew that she was forgiven of her sins? But there are some, especially among the Roman Catholic theologians, who have argued that this text states that this woman was forgiven because of her love, her great love for Christ. And so they argue from this text for merit. That is, that the forgiveness of this woman was at least in part merited by the great love she had for Christ. But don't you see how this way of thinking turns all of the Lord's teaching in our passage upside down? This notion can be readily dismissed when we see the centrality of this parable, the teaching of the parable for this whole passage. 
and how that the Lord applies this parable to the case of the woman at his feet. For again, we read that Jesus asked the question to the Pharisee, Tell me, therefore, Simon, which of the two debtors will love the creditor the most? And Simon admits it, and he says, Well, I suppose that it was he to whom was forgiven the most. So you see, the whole point of the parable is to ask the question, who would love most, based upon the fact that they were already forgiven the debt. So it doesn't make any sense that this woman would be forgiven because of her love, because the parable is all about teaching us that the one who loved the most loved because they were forgiven the most. And so Jesus tells Simon, thou hast rightly judged. You see, you have rightly judged, Simon. It's true that the debtor who's been forgiven the most will love the most. And besides, on a technical note, the Greek word here, when we read for she loved much, that is the Greek word for the word for, which is hati, it's a conjunction, it does not always indicate cause in the sense of because she loved much, but the same Greek word can also be rendered as therefore. And so, arguably, this text may also be read like this, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, therefore she loved much. And I saw the same Greek word rendered in this sense in two other places in the New Testament. But let us then as we've already really started speaking to it, let us turn now to our third head, which is found from these words, that this woman loved much, for she loved much. And I want you to see how that this woman's great love is being contrasted by the Lord in this 47th verse with a little love. For he says, for she loved much, But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. The reason that we love Christ only a little is because we do not understand the enormity of our sin. And so we are ungrateful to God and we are cold to others. And out of that coldness, there's this critical spirit formed in our hearts And we are more observant of the sins of others than the sins in ourselves. And when we look at the sins of others, like this Pharisee did in the thought in his mind, we see the sins of others as being greater and weightier and more annoying than our own sins. But I tell you, we should be annoyed at our sins. But according to this text, do you see This is the very reason for us loving the Lord a little and not much. This woman of our text, in contrast, is in what we might call a transport of mind as she comes into the presence of our Lord at Simon's house. As Matthew Henry puts it, she was in a transport to find herself so near her Savior whom her soul loved. You see, she is totally engulfed with this love of the Lord Jesus Christ that there are no other cares or considerations in her mind. We do not see her being socially engaged 
with all the other dinner guests, do we? It's not as if we read in this passage that this woman comes into the room and she introduces herself to this dinner guest and that one. No. She totally disregards the society of man. She comes into the room and she comes directly to the Lord Jesus and humbles herself at his feet. She doesn't care about the criticisms that might come from others. It's not important to her. What's important to her is to love the Lord Jesus, to worship him. She doesn't care what other people are thinking about her. Is it that way with us? Do we care about the criticisms of others, even criticisms in our devotion to the Lord? Are we more concerned about that than we are in our acts of worship and our devotion to him? Tell me, do you have any obstacles in your heart which keeps you from adoring and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? Are there any things that are getting in the way of you adoring him? Or are you clinging to those sinful ways of life in which you delight? Those sinful courses of life which characterize who you are. Let me ask you this morning. Can you tell me honestly that those sinful courses in your life have served you well? Can you honestly say to yourself that the sins of your life have enriched your life, have made them better? Or is it rather instead that the sins of your life cast you down to the ground, cast you down in misery and wretchedness of heart? Put behind you, I tell you, put behind you anything that is coming between you and the Lord, anything that is keeping you back from running to the Lord Jesus Christ, even that you may know that principle of eternal and abundant and overflowing life, which is only found in Jesus. Run to Christ, flee to him. It reminds me of a character in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. We read of Christian when he decides to go to the celestial city. Though he has this great burden on his back that is a sense of his guiltiness and sin, he starts running, running to the wicked gate that leads to the celestial city. And as he runs, we read that all of his family and friends and neighbors of the town cry out to him and say, Where are you going, Christian? Come back. Come back. What are you doing? And so what does Christian do? We read that even as he's running, he puts his fingers into his ears. If you can picture that, he's running heartily. And he puts his fingers into his ears and he cries out, life, life, eternal life. That is what our focus should be, my friends, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anything else distract you. Just be single-minded and focused to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, there's no such thing as an armchair Christianity. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was not intended to be held out at arm's length, but rather we are to grasp it and draw it into our hearts, into our minds. 
And so, I want us this morning not to leave with this mere observation that, oh yes, this woman, she sinned much, she was forgiven much, she loved much, but I want us to turn the spotlight around from this woman to us, to our own hearts. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, yes, this woman loved much, but do we love much? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ much? Do I love the Lord Jesus much? And I'm not saying, as someone might mistakenly think from our text, that we are to sin more so that we may be forgiven more, so that we may love more. No, God forbid. It is never a good thing to sin, and it's certainly not good to multiply our sins. As we read in the opening of chapter 6 of the book of Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But what we are saying, isn't this true? How few of us there are indeed that grasp the weightiness and the depth of our sin as this woman had done. When we understand that even the least transgression of our minds is worthy of an eternity of condemnation as an offense against the infinitely holy God, then we will see that we have a sufficiency of sin in our lives. We don't need to multiply our sin. In such a way, we may indeed join with this woman in understanding that we too have been forgiven much. And so in this sense, we may love the Lord Jesus Christ much. Do you love much or is your love but a little I'm not asking you if you love. We all love our family and our friends. But as the scripture says, for if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. I'm not asking you if you love. I'm asking you if you love much. During a family visitation, Pastor McCarr and I heard it said, that we as a congregation are not as warm and loving as a people as we should be as Christians. But we all need to take this question and direct it first at ourselves and ask ourselves, yes, but do we love much? Because it must start with us, with each one of us. And so I'm not asking if we love as a congregation. I'm asking if we love much as individuals. You may say, well, this is a hard thing. Who can claim even that they love the Lord Jesus Christ much? Well, then let us be driven to our knees to pray. Let us pray for one another and for ourselves. Let us pray indeed that we would grow more in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ Let us pray then for one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord that we may indeed love one another with greater warmth, that we may love one another, not little, but much. Let us also pray 
Let us pray for one another as husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives with greater passion. Wives, love your husbands with greater passion so that you may love each other, not a little, but much. Let us pray also for one another as fathers and as mothers, that we may remember in our discipline of our children. And yes, we should raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But let us also remember that we as parents should demonstrate the mercy of God to our children. The mercy of God, not just a strictness of discipline. So that we may love our children, not with just our natural affections that we have for them, but that we may love our children much. And so let us also pray for one another as sons and daughters. And let us remember that as we honor our parents according to the fifth commandment, which is required of us, that we also remember that text in the Word of God that says we must cover a multitude of sins with love. Love covers a multitude of sins. So that we may love our parents, but not with a little love, but that we may love them much. And so I'd like to just turn to one final application for the sermon this morning. And that is what we find in verse 37. There is yet another thing that this woman does. And I want you to see that this morning. We read that when she knew that Jesus was at meat or at a meal in the Pharisee's house, this woman brought an alabaster box of ointment. She brought this alabaster box. And that is significant. And you may say, well, well that's, what's significant about that? We already knew that she brought this, this box with her. Well, here's the point I want you to see. When this woman came into Simon's home, and she was in the presence of the Lord, and she began to weep at his feet, and wipe the tears with the hairs of her head, and kiss his feet, she did not think to herself all of a sudden, I wish I could just do more for the Lord here. And she looks up and sees this alabaster box of ointment on Simon's shelf, and she brings it down and anoints the Lord's feet. You see, it wasn't like that. It wasn't an accident that she anointed the Lord's feet. She brought the alabaster box with her. Alabaster is a finely granular variety of gypsum, often white and translucent. I'm sure it was a lovely box that she brought with her. But she planned ahead. She brought it with her, you see? Do you think that she would have brought this alabaster box of ointment with her unless it was with the full intention of what she ended up doing and anointing the Lord's feet? <coughs> Do you see my point? My point is that her worship of the Lord was not haphazard or accidental. It was premeditated. She planned it. Otherwise, she wouldn't have had the, the forethought to bring this alabaster box with her. Do you see how even in bringing this box with her, that that also was an expression of her great love for Christ? 
just by bringing this box and making a plan to anoint the Lord's feet. It was a token of her love for him. And so I ask you this morning, do you have an alabaster box? Do you bring it to the Lord for worship? Do you have stated times of prayer, of scripture, meditation, and memorization and reading? Do you set apart times in your busy schedules? Everyone is busy. You're no different than anyone else. But do you set apart a time where you can regularly devote yourself in worshiping the Lord? Well, that's really what is indicated here by this woman bringing this box. She had a plan for it. It was premeditated. And I ask you also, what is inside of your alabaster box? Of course, I'm not speaking literally. I'm speaking figuratively and spiritually. But if someone was to open the lid of your alabaster box, what would they find inside of it? Where are your devotions? Would they merely find your devotions to your husband or your wife or to your children? Or would they find in their devotions to the Lord? You know, the Lord Jesus himself says that our love to our family should be like hatred in comparison to our love for the Lord. So much greater should our love be for him. Is that what we find in your alabaster box? Do we find your prayers, whether they be uh, in secret, in in your prayer closet, whether that's literally or or figuratively a, a prayer closet? Do we find your prayers with your family? Do we find your prayers in the congregation? Do you read the scripture? Now, you may not be a lover of books, but you better be a lover of the Bible. You may not love to read books, but you better love to read the scripture. Because I tell you, these are the things which the Lord has ordained for our growth in Christ. How do you expect to grow in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, even that you may love him much, if you are not regularly meditating upon the Holy Word of God? If you are not regularly having stated times of prayer before him? How do you expect to advance in your Christian faith? Now, I'm not saying that you should trust in those things. I'm not saying that you have your morning devotion and you tell yourself, well, everything's going to be cool, everything's fine today, like as if you're resting and trusting in that. You should only trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the triune God. But again, I ask you, how are you going to grow in the grace of Jesus and in love for him unless you busy yourself with these means of grace that the Lord himself has ordained for you to grow in him? And so, we must be regular in our turning to the Lord, because even that regularity is a token and a sign of our love for Him. Let us pray. O blessed Lord God, eternal Heavenly Father, we do praise you and we thank you for that blessed salvation, which is indeed found and no other name under heaven, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, for we are miserable in our own sins, and we have no hope in ourselves, and we no longer want to trust in ourselves, but we want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ 
and trust in him alone for our salvation and not to trust in our own strength and our own common sense. But, O oh Lord, we pray that you would meet us wherever we are in the reality of our sin, whatever it may be, that you would meet us there and that you would forgive us and that you would commune with us and that we may enjoy that sweet fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's now, we do pray that we may ever grow more and more in the love of Christ that may be said not only of this woman but also of ourselves that we love you not with a little love but that we love you much. We do pray all these things in his name. Amen.